This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Bat Fans. Yes, we're still here. This is episode 190. My name is Tim. I'm going to be in the hosting, doing the hosting duties for this episode. But joining me, as always, is Dane. Dane, how's it going? You know, I'm doing good. Uh, a lot of good TV, Mandalorian, Watchmen. I know you've been watching the Harley Quinn. Um, well, just started watching. <laughs> the or, first yeah, episode you, just premiered yesterday. But. You, you did see the premiere episode but yes. uh, a lot of great tv we i've been watching um but tim i wanted to ask you on your disney plus account mm-hmm. what picture do you have as your avatar very good question so obviously it has to be something star wars related of course i was hoping for a little more selection but maybe down the line they'll add some more but right now it's of the mandalorian oh. <laughs> You had your typical, you know, Darth Vader, there's BB-8, but given how The Mandalorian is the big new selling feature of Disney+, Plus, I figured I'd go with that one, and he's just proven to be a great character already, so I'm totally okay with him being my Avatar picture, <laughs> but we'll see what they add later on, but I gotta ask, what's yours, Dave? Uh, Vader. Wow. I, I was gonna go for The Mandalorian, but I figured everybody would, would pick The Mandalorian, um... And some people might pick BB-8, and, and so I um, ended up just picking Vader. A safe choice, but again, you can't go wrong. Yeah, <laughs> Vader. That's any you have a dart for anything. Oh, you know what I wanted to ask you, Tim? Um, did you beat Fallen Order yet? Not yet. I, oh. I, not sure. I, I'm trying to. I don't want to try to look up if I'm halfway or I'm close to being done because I might get some spoilers <laughs> no matter yeah. what I type in or try searching for. But um, I'm pretty well into it, I believe. What so, uh, part are you on? Did you beat it? Yeah. Okay, you beat it. So I won't yeah. be spoiling anything for you. <laughs> okay, so spoilers for anyone who's listening and playing the game in case you're not at this part yet. So last night I just finished the flashback of Order 66 where he lost his master that was oh, really you're, cool yeah. you're on uh yeah that was pretty cool you you're on dathomir yeah i just finished dathomir and i'm on ilum now which was a nice surprise i did get oh. spoiled on the order 66 sequence just a random youtube 
video recommendation <laughs> that popped at Order 66, Fallen Order. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you definitely don't want to... Um, let me think about this for a second. <laughs> um, you, you, you're going to be like, of course, this is happening um, um, at the end, right? Okay. Um, but you don't want to be spoiled on it. So don't... Don't look at anything. Yeah, I'm trying not to. <laughs> yeah. Man, between the Fallen Order and Rise of Skywalker spoilers and new footage being out there almost every day now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so much yeah. Star Wars stuff you got to try to dodge before you get to experience it for yourself. Yeah. Um, but since you beat but, it, what did you think of it overall? Uh, the story was, for the most part, lackluster. Really? I've heard the exact opposite. (laughs) Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, uh, Until you get to the Dathomir stuff and the flashbacks and uh, what happened with your master. And uh, you see, I'm trying to remember and trying not to spoil this for you, Tim. Did you touch the wall yet? On Dathomir? Yeah, on Dathomir. Did you get to the temple? I'm off Dathomir, so I just finished where I'm I'm just about to start Ilum. Oh okay, um, so so you uh, you you saw that you have to fight your master. Yeah, I did. Yeah, that. okay, all right. Yeah, that that's when it starts getting really really good for okay. me anyway. Um, and the ending, I was like, yeah, of course that's happening. Um, how could you not in the in a Star Wars game? Mm. But I still really liked it. It's it's still a really really cool. Um, event okay. <laughs> yeah it's it's really hard because it's it's looking you right in the face tim like you as a star wars fan should know what happens okay yeah but that's all i'll say <laughs> thank you yeah that's enough to still get me excited to keep going and oh, obviously i'm gonna keep going no matter what but just anxious to see how the story plays out because i yeah. like i said i've heard I thought you were going to say the story was lackluster throughout the whole game. That's why I said no, I've heard no. the exact opposite because it gets really yeah. good at the end. So It gets really good at the end, but for, I'd say, like 75% of the story, three-quarters of the story, it's just... Uh, well, I mean, I guess besides the... Be- I really like the beginning, how you're on that trash planet. Yeah. And you got to escape the trash planet and stuff. Um, I wish there was another big sequence like that, um, a scripted sequence like that, but... Uh, well, there's kind of a scripted sequence at the end, but um, yeah, I just wish there was more uh, intrigue to the story. It's 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 more of a fetch quest, like a, just just a really big fetch quest. Um, That's true. But like you said, once you get once you get more towards the end, more towards the Order sixty six stuff, it starts getting more interesting. Um, also, I wish the the mechanics worked a little better. Um, I don't. I don't know if it's because I'm on the uh, on the old Xbox, and maybe you're having an easier time on the new Xbox. But some of the fighting mechanics I had a really hard time with because it was it got a little choppy and it it just wasn't working as fluid as some other games do. Um, yeah, I think we're talking about on our last episode when we're giving our first impressions on it how. The Xbox One S, the white one, is like doesn't run well on that system. Yeah, compared really to the doesn't. others. So, um, yeah. I haven't had issues with 
being choppy or anything during combat. I'm just, st- I've finally gotten better with the combat and better at parrying and blocking <laughs> a lightsaber attack than I was at the first start of it. But yeah, not performance issues wise. Performance issues wise, I haven't had really any problems with it. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, I'm not so much talking about the the performance issues. I'm talking about the. Um, uh, I don't know what you call it, the combat fluidity. Um, it, it it felt at certain p- parts that I couldn't block anything. Like they, they would get one hit on me and do a massive combo. Yeah, well, that happened would, to me a lot. Still, I think yeah, that's just yeah. how the game is designed, really. Yeah, especially the last fight um, when you're fighting the this person. It's like, ah, uh, it took me like three or four. The, the 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 final fight uh, is is really really hard. It took me like three or four tries to get it to get it down. That's with the BBA. I mean, not the BBA. <laughs> <laughs> BD one uh, uh, health canisters or health mm. injections and stuff. And it's just the combos, man. Like ah, uh. yeah. I've had tr- most bosses. I've died multiple times. Yeah, every time I fight an inquisitor, it takes a little bit. <laughs> oh yeah, I, the, the, those inquisitors are way overpowered. It's like it, it's it's like they they move ten times faster than you. And like I said, the combos once they get one hit and they just keep going, and you can't block yeah. it. Especially um, um, during the the last part of the game, the the final stage, you're fighting like two or three inquisitors at a time. And so, that, like, like, there's the, the Inquisitors with the guns, or those Imperial... The Purge Troopers, like? Yeah, yeah, the Purge Troopers, and you're fighting uh, the, the Inquisitor, these Inquisitors with, this, with, with these giant axes, and, you, and the, the ones with the dual blades, and the ones with the staffs, staves, and... Yeah, it gets really tough. <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> it's yeah. Definitely a game that's been challenging for the most part when in combat. So knowing that the last level ups the challenge even more is not a huge surprise. <laughs> we'll see how I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Expect to run out of force power a lot. <laughs> I don't have to try to max everything out much as I could before <laughs> I yeah. just get to that final sequence. But yeah, especially uh, your force power. Um, Definitely get that one up. I wish I did that yeah. <laughs> more than, more than uh, life, my my health. But um, in the end, yeah, it, it was a it was a good game. Um, I just wish they they worked out the technical stuff better. Mm. I wish they kind of worked on the mechanic, the fighting mechanics a little more. But uh, the story and especially the voice acting slash um, mocap acting was was really really good yeah glad to hear it that you enjoyed it because i've been hearing nothing but good things from those who beat it i know it's taking yeah. a little longer <laughs> but yeah. that's par for the course with me in video games these days so i hope so i'm on ilum now would you say i'm half halfway there yeah you're more than halfway so okay. so you're gonna go from ilum to well you have to say where i'm going next just <laughs> all you have to say is more than halfway that's why <laughs> well i mean i, I okay Okay, I will say. You just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's pretty obvious where you're going next, but okay, yeah. So yeah, maybe by the time we do our next episode, I'll have it beat. Yeah, yeah. Well, the the only reason why I beat it was because we had the two day holiday. <laughs> mm, sure. <laughs> going, yeah, See, going into the weekend. I don't like 
just doing one thing whenever I have like a few days off, or whatever. I like to just do other things, put some time into a game, then put some time into it, you know, reading some books, playing another game, watching movies, catching up on TV shows, stuff like that. Yeah, so I yeah. never really focus just on one thing for like the whole day. <laughs> yeah, of course. But, you know, I, I, I was just figuring or figuring this is the only chance I'm going to get, um, you know, for a while until Christmas, I guess, mm-hmm. to actually sit down and have no distraction, not be tired, not have having to go to sleep or whatever to to just play a video game. So I figured I'd just binge it. And yeah, it was definitely worth it. I, I, I liked it. Um, especially, I, I think you're going to really, as a Star Wars fan, Tim, I think you're really going to, you're really going to like The Last Stage. Nice. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Part of me is, just really anxious to get there because, like I said, I've heard so many great things about it and reading yeah. from people who finish it. So I'll get there eventually, and I can't wait to when I do. Yeah, and don't go on YouTube and get spoiled on it. And don't don't type in Fallen Order. Oh, I have not. Yeah, ever since I saw that Order sixty six. Yeah. Image. <laughs> so. Yeah, because I actually got spoiled on what happens in the end. Oh, that's um, even worse. <laughs> the, the, yeah, the the big event at the end. So. And it was on Twitter, no less. (laughs) See, with video games, you got to give more time for spoilers to start talking about that. Like at least a month, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, I mean, there there are people that beat it in a day. Yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) They got to be more considerate. (laughs) But yeah, so that's our latest on catching up with Jedi Fallen Order, our progress on that. Dane's beat it. I haven't. <laughs> so yep. I got it. I'm catching up, which I'll do the remaining few days. But I guess with that, we can get, go ahead and get into our Dark Knight Rises minute by minute commentary. We are going from minutes 138 through 139 or the two hour and 18 minute mark. It's the two hour and 19 minute mark. So as always, we're at a pivotal point in the movie, so you want to get all your relevant media formats, your VHS player, your DVD player, your Betamax tape, your Laserdisc player, your Blockbuster memberships card, your Netflix physical media, your HD DVD, Blu-ray, and soon-to-be 4K, <laughs> and the best of all, your VHS to DVD converter copy. So, if you got all those ready to go, we can go ahead and start at the two-hour and eighteen-minute mark. Dan, do you have all those ready to go for yourself? Do you have like tons of screens with all those players? Of course, of <laughs> ready course. To go. But, but uh, did, did you say? Did you also say beta? I did. Yes. Okay. All right. I just want to make sure the Betamax tape is in there. And we got, can't forget about that. It's a classic. For, <laughs> it's a classic that lasted less than a year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gone, but never forgotten. <laughs> Uh, but yes, I am ready, Tim. Okay. I will give the countdown in three, two, one, go. As we see the flashback continuing to Talia slash Bane's origin. <laughs> yeah. And we knew this little girl was going to be in it. And we knew that she spoiled who she was playing. <laughs> yeah. Are, are, are those ruins behind her? It looked like it. Or like. Yeah. Like a temple ruin. But this was also like, a pretty cool surprise seeing the young Raish. Yeah. And they got a good actor to look like a young Liam Neeson there. <laughs> He's got the mustache and the goatee. 
But there's a real really inducement. And May is going to shed a tear. Was that stock footage or was that Liam Neeson? I want to say that was stock Filming. footage. Yeah. I think something taken from Batman Begins. Yeah. And we're going to end where we started. A look of sadness. A shot of being. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that is our minute. We're close to two hours and 20 minutes, getting closer and closer to the end. But still got a ways to go with more cool stuff on the way. But with that, we can go ahead and get into our feature topic for this episode. And on this one, we're going to be continuing a TV themed <laughs> feature topic. We know we've had some of that in our last few episodes. So we're going to do some review slash recap of some latest TV shows that we've been watching. Some had finales, some had premieres, and others are still going but have great episodes. So we're going to be talking about the season finale of Titans Season 2 and the premiere of the Harley Quinn animated series, both which just aired on the DC Universe app yesterday as we're recording this podcast. And then also get into the latest few episodes of The Mandalorian and Watchmen. So like you said at the beginning, Dane, a lot of good TV out there and just a lot of options to choose from for everyone in the geek world so um gotta talk about it because <laughs> there's a yeah. bunch of stuff to talk about so um, i i think you should start with titans and uh the harley quinn show first but uh i'm i'm gonna put out a guess him for watchmen about why you liked um this latest episode okay. this extraordinary being interesting okay <laughs> because it's the most comic booky of all the episodes we've gotten so far. But don't tell me the answer yet. Tell me when we get to the review. Okay. Will do. Yeah. yeah. All right. So first off, I'm going to start with the Titans season two finale. And just, I guess, kind of go over a recap of the season two in general, what I thought. Um, the finale, a lot of great moments in it. But in the end, it was kind of a mixed bag. And that was pretty much the general feeling i have of season two overall they just had a lot of great concepts great moments too great episodes in there but the problem with this season that they try to incorporate too many storylines with maybe one or too many characters and the focus is going in different directions when it should be focusing on one aspect and my opinion the main aspect of the season what really drove it and which was the, all the great stuff of deathstroke his involvement with the Titans and Dick Grayson and his character arc as he finally made the progression to Nightwing in this episode. And that was a big highlight in the finale. Seeing Dick Grayson get his Nightwing costume was pretty cool. And it looks fantastic. Seeing Nightwing finally in live action, I, in my opinion, they, they nailed it. The, the suit looks great in live action. They captured the feel of how it looks in the comics and animated series that Nightwing's appeared in. It's got the blue logo, not the red. Thank goodness. <laughs> and it just looked great. And uh, Brendan Dwight, Dwight's, I always pronounce his last name wrong. So, <laughs> But he was a, did a great job, I think, in this season. Because, uh, you know, Dick is in, kind of in a dark place throughout the season. He feels guilty about the main thrust of this season is how Deathstroke comes back into the picture. And he blames the Titans for killing his son Jericho. And in a way, Dick is very responsible for that, even though he didn't directly kill him. And Dick has holding on to that guilt for years, and now it just resurfaces 
over the course of the season when Destro comes back and sees the Titans reform and he wants to get his revenge on them. That made for some really great stories and episodes and just seeing Dick deal with that. And that just really led into his him becoming Nightwing and fully abandoning the Robin persona. And I felt they did a really good job with that. And in the finale, I should I see I should have said this at the beginning. This is a problem I've noticed I'm having to forget to throw out the spoiler warnings <laughs> before I start talking about certain things. So spoilers for the season two finale, just season two in general from here on out. So the episode begins pretty much with the Titans going out to save Beast Boy and Superboy, who Cadmus has captured and have brainwashed, and they're using them to using Beast Boy to attack a carnival that's going on, then they're gonna use Superboy to go stop them, all just so they can have these other corporations bid on getting their own Superboys to use as weapons. So they just want to make a demonstration. So the Titans go out to rescue them, but over so they're making their way there. Deathstroke attacks their car that they're in. And that's, that's probably the highlight of the episode because then later on, Nightwing makes his grand entrance, his debut, um, not only to Deathstroke, but to the Titans. He's been away from the team for a while. And they just have a really cool fight sequence. Seeing, like I said, that perfect Nightwing costume going against Deathstroke's great costume was just a really cool to see as, you know, diehard DC, as a diehard DC fan. It was a great fight, and then uh, Rose comes in, Deathstroke's daughter, in her uh, Ravager costume, which looked really cool, too. And that was just a great fight sequence, but the problem with it was is that, this is my biggest problem with the finale, how the Deathstroke arc, like I said, was the main thrust of season two, and it felt like they were in a rush to get it over with, and it ended in an anticlimactic way, even as cool as the fight choreography was between Nightwing, Ravager, and Deathstroke, the way it ended just felt very anticlimactic. Um, Rose ends up stabbing Deathstroke because that was another big thing in the season where um, Jericho has the metahuman ability to transfer his life force into other people's bodies. So once you saw that he was killed, uh, Deathstroke stabbed him accidentally, uh, but still, like I said, still blamed the Titans for getting him involved and for him doing that. But it was revealed later that Jericho used his powers to transfer himself into Slade's body. But Slade still have control over Jericho, is still kind of trapped in the subconscious. And so once Ravager stabbed Deathstroke, uh, Jericho transfers himself into uh, Rose's body. So now both brother and sister are sharing that body. And they made you believe that Deathstroke is dead. They say as much, but I gotta—I really hope he's not because it'd be a waste of the character. He was done so well in this series and the, the opportunity, they got to have that opportunity to bring him back at some point if they wanted to. And plus we know Deathstroke has that, you know, superhuman healing ability. So he could still be alive, even though they think he's dead, but they just left it there. They say he's dead. They don't show what they do with the body. That's just the last of the mention of him. It just ended very quickly. And as much as this was the main story thread of the season, the fact that it kind of, got rushed to the wayside and saved for the first act of the finale, I felt was a mistake. It should have been saved for the final, you know, big climactic action sequence to end the season on, but um, they felt they had to put it first. And in the end doing that, it didn't get the justice it deserved, I felt. So that was disappointing because then they focus on the Cadmus story arc dealing with Beast Boy and Superboy. And so they end up 
uh, going against them. Dick is able to use Raven's power to enter Superboy's subconscious and is able to help him come out of being brainwashed and under Cadmus's control. And they defeat them. Mercy Graves was in charge and under, working, obviously, under Lex Luthor. This is all his scheme. They don't actually show him, but you know, they mention him a lot. And uh, they make it obvious that this is all his doing. So they're able to free Superboy and Beast Boy from the mind manipulation of Cadmus and save the day. Everyone's happy. And then out of the blue, this electrical tower or this lights, I forget exactly what it was. It starts, it just falls due to the damage caused during the battle. And it's going to fall on some civilians along with Dove, who was trying to, you know, doesn't obviously have any powers to stop it. And then Donna Troy rushes in to stop the tower, the lights to fall on civilians and electrocute everybody. But in the process, she gets electrocuted and ends up dying, saving these people and Dove. And it just felt kind of out of the blue and unnecessary. It just didn't ring true as a way for the character to go out. It, it just didn't feel right when you're watching it, especially also, too, when you got Superboy there who can easily do the same thing and could withstand that electricity pulse. And you can maybe make the argument he was still recovering from being brainwashed, but I don't know. He sent pretty alert and ready to go and do what he wanted to rush over there and stop that uh, light lighting tower from falling and saving the people there. But Donna Troy acted first and she's the one who died from it, which, you know, I know she dies in some of the, in the early Titan stories. So that wasn't a huge surprise. It's just the way it was handled. I think it would have been better if, Somehow Deathstroke was the one who killed her. And that would harken back to the early episodes, how he killed Aqualad, um, who she had a relationship with. And it would just be another blow that Deathstroke would give to the Titans, even though you know at the end they probably would have defeated him. So it just would have a better thematic feel to it if she went out a different way than how she did in this episode. So um, that, was, that was something I thought could have been handled better as well. And so the rest of the episode is the Titans dealing with the loss of Donna Troy, but at the same time coming together as a team, as a family. And there's some great stuff between Bruce and Dick in this episode too. Um, Cause we know they've made it very clear in season one, Bruce had, or Dick had a strange, strained relationship with Bruce and they're slowly through as the season went on trying to make amends with that. But Bruce is always in Dick's head um, kind of playing his subconscious and getting Dick back into gear and telling him, what he needs to do while at the same time telling him what his faults are. All that stuff with Bruce as Dick's subconscious in certain episodes was done really well, but it was great to see them interact for real (laughs) one-on-one in this episode. So that was all great. And so the season ends with them, you know, like I said, becoming the full Titans team finally, even though some characters aren't there anymore. Raven left with... uh, some other Amazonians to the mascara to be with Donna Troy. She wants to see if she can revive her in some way. Jason Todd left the team. So it's really just Nightwing, Starfire, Hawk and Dove, and Beast Boy, and Ravager, and Superboy. <laughs> I think that got everyone covered. So they're the main thrust of the Titans now. So I'm sure Raven will come back in season three. Jason probably will too. And I'm excited for season three because the team looks to finally be together. Hopefully they won't be as divisive and split up as they were in this season and them just forming the team in season one. So I really want to see them as a team fully established, um, doing 
missions and fighting whatever villain they're going to face in season three together without so much divisiveness and them needing to come together in the end. We've had that for two seasons now, so it's time for just the Titans team to be in full force and ready to go. So overall, the season, I enjoyed it, but wasn't as good as I think it could have been with uh, having Deathstroke be the main villain and bringing in Connor Kent and Superboy. Those stuff were good, but sometimes the focus, like I said, shifted too much in other directions. And they had other subplots with Starfire and um, what her ho- issues going on in her home world where the sister, sister Blackfire being brought into the mix. So this certain areas, the story was going in too many different directions when it needed to be more focused. And that kind of was what happened in the finale as well. So um, in the end, I still enjoyed it. The Deathstroke stuff and Dick Grayson stuff was great, like I said, and that I think reason alone to still check out the season in these episodes. So um, if I were to rate the season as a whole, I'd probably give it a three and a half out of five. Some really solid episodes and great character moments, but they didn't quite live up to the expectations I had going into it of how great it could have been. So, so yeah. So so Batman isn't in that show then? No, just Bruce Wayne. Ian Glenn okay. is just Bruce. That was another thing I was wondering if they'd actually see if we'd actually see Bruce don the cape and cow and be Batman, but we didn't get mm. any of that. I see. And I didn't felt it needed as well because it definitely was just focusing on Dick and the Titans. Maybe later on we'd get to see him as Batman, but I felt for this season there wasn't really a need for that. As cool as it would have been, but it wasn't yeah. something that I felt would have made it any better. What is it called Titans? It's not called Batman and exactly. Titans. <laughs> I'm just glad we got Bruce in there. Yeah. That, I thought Ian Glenn did a good job overall, even though it was a different portrayal for Bruce Wayne that we've seen before. But in the end, I thought it worked well. So, yeah, that's my review of Titans, the season two finale. And now we can get into the Harley Quinn episode, which had its premiere yesterday. And... I said this in a tweet, and I'm just going to start with that. We know Batman and his characters, his universe, has been adapted and portrayed in many different ways. Very dark, very campy, a nice mixture of both. But this one for Harley Quinn did not work for me at all. I'm sorry to say I did not like this first episode and just the tone this series is setting so far. I mean, I knew going into it they're going for some wacky humor, extreme violence, language. I mean, they're going the Deadpool route. They made that pretty clear. I don't. They didn't break the fourth wall too much. Maybe I just didn't pay attention to certain aspects of it, but I don't think they did at all. So that's one thing they didn't have. <laughs> but it just the portrayal of the characters and the humor they tried to display in it just didn't click for me. I mean, the jokes did not land at all between Harley, Joker, Rizzler, just... The interactions between Poison Ivy and Harley just felt, some of it felt like sitcom-y as well. Comedy movies that aren't funny. It just, nothing about the humor worked for me. And just the character portrayals were just way over the top. Even some characters you wouldn't expect, like Commissioner Gordon, who was just this, you know, overworked, overtired, and just someone who's about ready to snap. (laughs) He's almost, he looked like someone who could be an Arkham for the most part. And it just, I did not like seeing these Batman characters portrayed this way. Again, they can be adapted in many different ways. And maybe um, this is a version that will 
click and work for some people, but it did not for me at all. And the over the top use of the violence and the language, it felt forced to me. Um, it's the direction they wanted to go for, but to me, it's not something that helps the series in any way. Just nothing about it really worked for me. I will say the basic story premise was fine with what you expect to see in a Harley TV show, how she's trying to, you know, break away from the Joker, but she just can't. She always goes back to him. It's stuff we've seen before with Harley, but I did like how Poison Ivy is trying to get her out of that relationship. And she has this big elaborate scheme to make her realize that Joker is not good for her, where she teams up with the Riddler um, and to make her see how the Joker truly loves his relationship more with Batman than he does with Harley. Cause there's the, the big end sequences where she Riddler has Batman and Harley trapped and he makes the Joker choose which one to live and die. And he chooses to save Batman because he obviously wants to be the one to kill Batman and all that stuff. We know that Joker, the Batman relationship has, and he just lets Harley to die. And that's what makes Harley realize that it's time for her to fully leave the Joker. But like I said, in the end, it was just a scheme by Harley or by Poison Ivy. She used Riddler to orchestrate this whole thing. He wasn't she wasn't really going to kill her or anything like that. She just wanted Harley to see how Joker would never put Harley first. So that stuff you know, as a story, it worked really pretty good. But this wasn't executed great for me with the humor and the, like I said, overtop violence and language and all this stuff that felt very, very forced. And the vocal performances, I thought, were solid for the most part. I thought uh, Kelly Kuoko did a great job as Harley Quinn. And the plus for me, which I forgot, was hearing Diedrich Bader back as Batman from Braving the Bold. He didn't have a huge role in it, but it was just great hearing his voice as Batman again because he did a great job in Braving the Bold. But Alan Tudyk as Joker, it just didn't work for me. He didn't have quite the Joker voice that I felt fits for the character, but um, I know there are some people who were enjoyed it and wanted to see Alan Tudyk play the Joker. So hopefully he delivered a good performance for what you're looking for in the Joker. But for me, it's just one of those aspects of the series that didn't click. So yeah, this series is not for me. <laughs> I'm probably not going to continue to watch it. So, which is a bummer because I was, I wouldn't say I was necessarily very excited for it, but the animation looked good. It's a new Batman series. Of course, I'm going to check it out. So um, I was looking forward to seeing it and how it would end up being. And it just wasn't for me. So a little disappointed with that. And I know some people are going into it with a view how, which was, I agree, is a good way to look at it. I was talking to someone on Twitter today named Philip Barker. He says, um, if you approach this as a show from Harley's perspective and, you know, how and he goes how extravagant as things <laughs> happen in the series play out. It would be some that fits within Harley's crazy mind. And they kind of explore that a little bit in this, sh- in this first episode where she thinks the Joker proposes to her ends up being some totally different, but in her crazy warped mind, he was proposing to her and saying, you know, till death do his part meant they're going to be forever, but it was some totally different. So I can understand that where if you're going into the series, Viewing it from Harley's perspective, there is going to be that over-the-top violence and, I guess, that language. But that doesn't, I think, apply to the humor that was used in this episode because it just was not funny. I didn't laugh at all. And they were really pushing the humor uh, in this episode for a lot of characters. And even Poison Ivy's big 
plant creature, like this this fly trap, who was talking and was making these jokes. This was not funny at all. So this one is going to be, let's see, if I were to rate it, I think I'm going to go with a low one here. It's I'm going to give it a one out of five. There was wow. very few redeeming <laughs> qualities about it for me. Like I said, the only thing being some of the vocal performances and just the basic plot of how Harley's trying to break away from the Joker, but everything surrounding that just was not executed well, in my opinion at all. Just something that's not for me. <laughs> I guess that's the best way I could say for it. We'll see if other people end up digging it, but this is one Batman interpretation of his characters that I'm not a huge fan of and won't be watching. It, it, is it the fact that they swear, or is it just the, the overall jokiness the, the humor joke. was not funny yeah the, yeah it just nothing about it made me laugh and the like i said the over-the-top humor or the over-the-top language of violence it felt forced almost like yeah. we have to do this we have to do this to push the envelope to get people talking that they're seeing batman characters like never before uh, and it just felt mm, very forced to me and doesn't add anything to the overall show in my opinion so it's like they were trying too hard yeah to be, to, to be like a Deadpool kind of thing. Yeah, a little too yeah. edgy and all that. So, mm. just not for me. So, yeah. again, we'll, like I said, we'll see how other fans react to it if it's successful or not. Maybe I'm going to be the odd one out. <laughs> it just does a like this version of the characters on this type of humor. So, but we'll see. Yeah, because uh, I mean, I guess that that would have been the only show that would have got me interested in subscribing to the dc warner brothers streaming service but i don't know <laughs> i guess not no well not if you ask me yeah <laughs> you're definitely better off with titan than especially doom patrol because yeah. <laughs> doom patrol is one that has humor that really works for <laughs> the crazy out there scenarios they sometimes have in that show but it yeah. just that's the total opposite where the humor in that works for those type of characters and for their situation and stories where in Harley and with these Batman characters, it just doesn't. Does does Doom Patrol and I guess more specifically Titans, do, do they have that thing that Arrow and Flash and all these other TC TV shows have where it's like it's the same alleyway in Canada. <laughs> no, they definitely do a better job of mixing up the locations of where uh, these episodes take place, which is yeah, nice. it's, it's always the same dark alleyway. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I don't know if that's the set that they reuse or if that's just the location that they go to for all the CW shows. But Now, there are dark alleys in these shows, but they're not used to the extent of how much they are in those other network shows where it's almost every other episode <laughs> you see that yeah. <laughs> well well compared to compared to like the flash and arrow where you, you have the protagonist arrow or flash right and then they always have to have a love interest which is so and so right that mm. does is titans better in that they don't have that same premise yeah it does feel different i mean there are some relationship stuff in there of course but yeah. 
it's, it's mainly with Hawk and Dove, and it makes for some compelling episodes just to see where their episode or where their relationship began, where it ends up as superheroes. So, but that was one aspect of season two where I felt it didn't need as much focus as it got compared to the other stuff that was going on in this season. Oh, so, but it's not as melodramatic as all those CW superhero <laughs> shows. So, so that's what makes it a little more tolerable for me. <laughs> I see. I don't know. It's it's like I hear your glowing reviews, Tim. Every single time we do an episode, a, a, an episode of Bad Fans, but I don't know. It's just something. It, it, it is it just a a CW show with cursing? Is it? Uh, <laughs> uh-huh. Um, is it actually better where they don't get stuck in that same trap of the villain of the week sort of thing? Um, yeah, it definitely know, doesn't have a villain of the week. It, it, it it's more of a I don't know what you a a, a a Watchmen type show where it's like it's one big massive story told throughout the season. Yeah, not okay. quite done as well as Watchmen, but of it course, is that same. Yeah type of style where it is there is one overarching story which is should have been the main one was his death stroke and like i yeah. said that was great but then you throw in these other subplots where it takes away from the focus on that which makes it frustrating some of it's good but some of it's like uh, you don't really need this here let's get back to the death stroke titans conflict or yeah. more with cadmus and superboy because those are the two main ones that work well but like i said you throw in some of the hawk and dove drama that they went through and then starfire and was her sister trying to take over their her own planet but and so there's this different plot bits for the characters maybe they one or too many characters got the spotlight where maybe they should have been held back because <laughs> that's you could make the argument there are too many characters on the show and they feel they need to give them their due but it takes away from the stories you're really interested in okay so so it's not like uh it's not like a villain of the week sort of thing where it's like, okay, so now it's going to be this villain we made up called, I don't know, Doorman, where he <laughs> fights you with doors or something. You know? It's like you created the next great villain, Dane. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's not like a disgruntled doorman who, I don't know, fights you with doorknobs and throws <laughs> doorknobs at you. Sack, yeah, the sack or, of doorknobs. Yeah. Or, it, it's, it's not like that where it's like, okay, so this is a guy that I'm never going to see again this season and maybe ne- never next season. No. Right? Okay. So so it's more of a big story where it's... It's, 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 it's kind of like... It's, yeah, it's a bigger story that doesn't really have that villain of the week feel. Yeah, it definitely doesn't. Okay. There's a lot of episodes are kind of done in flashbacks too that just fill in the gaps and explain the history and story of the main conflict, like with Deathstroke and with his family, like I said, with his son Jericho and his involvement with the Titans. There's some great flashback episodes too that only help with the main story. So there's a lot of episodes yeah. that are done that way too instead of the villain of the week, which is nice. Speaking of which, I... I think uh, Star Wars Rebels does a real good job with the villain of the week thing. They um, they do do that, but they actually make it interesting. Mm. You know, there are in season two there are a few episodes that felt like that because it 
season two is a longer season than season one, so there yeah. are a few fillers in there. But for the most part, I would agree they did a great job of just really focusing where they need to. But when there are some one-off episodes, they're still pretty engaging as well. Right. I don't know. I'm, I, I might give the 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 free trial if if they have still have a free trial. They should. I'd I definitely recommend giving it a shot. If anything else, the stuff with Dick Grayson is all done great, and Brendan Dwight's performance I think is done really really well. And it's yeah. just great seeing a great portrayal of Dick Grayson in live action finally, <laughs> yeah. and seeing him eventually turn into Nightwing too. So I think it's not, worth it. Not, not a Chris O'Donnell fan, Tim. <laughs> he doesn't, you know, do any laundry to show off his fighting skills <laughs> in this series. So that's a plus. <laughs> or, or no, you see, here's the real question, Tim. Does he have the plastic lips? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so one aspect of this version of Dick Grayson that's missing, yes. Uh, unfortunately, I, he doesn't. I, I guess I'm not going to watch Titans. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's a deal breaker. <laughs> plastic oh, lips. man. I forgot about that one. <laughs> but anyway, moving on from Batman and Robin and Robin's fake lips. <laughs> Let's talk about Watchmen, the last two episodes. And boy, talk about great comic book TV the last few weeks. <laughs> You're going to find it on Watchmen, man. We got some really, really great episodes. And I guess to start off, with not last week's, but the week before, which dealt on Looking Glass and his origin story and how his character is fitting into the bigger scheme. Oh, Tim, <laughs> Tim, you know, I, I really wanted to ask you when I first saw it. So Looking Glass was a Jehovah's Witness. Yeah, that was a surprise. But yeah, I was like, is, is that the Watchtower? They definitely got yeah, the Watchtower. Yeah. But... Yeah. The way they portrayed of how, I guess, the preaching aspect of it worked, right. not very not so much well portrayed. Yeah. <laughs> but, but but did you know they're dressed as, or did did you realize they're dressed like uh, Doctor Manhattan? Oh, I actually didn't pick up on that. Yeah, yeah. When they go to, or when him and oh, what's her name, Janie? Okay, Janie yeah. Slater, right? When they go to that fair, or yeah, when they go to the fair, they're they're wearing the 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 white shirt with the with the tie and the the overcoat. Oh yeah, yeah. Now that you mentioned it, you're right. I totally didn't pick up on that. <laughs> um, but but you're talking about like I I guess like the the message or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So so that's not how you guys would do it. It's <laughs> just like how they did it. Where first of all, it's all just young boys doing it that's yeah. not really how it works it's just you know whoever's doing the preaching in a particular congregation doesn't matter if it's you know male or female about having to keep them separate or not it's just yeah. you know they're all they're all doing it together and just going on a bus and doing it that late at night it's not easily doing it at like 12 o'clock at night yeah <laughs> and kind of Saying that prayer out beforehand, you usually have a meeting before that in your congregation before you go out. Oh, and, I see. So, yeah. yeah, it just wasn't you know how I experienced <laughs> and how it's, it works. So. It's not realistic in the Jehovah's Witness. So I, I didn't even realize they were until they actually showed the Watchtower. Yeah. There. So, so that was definitely a surprise. But <laughs> yeah. But yeah, this 
because I said before how Looking Glass was one of the cooler characters in the show and wanted to see more of. And this one kind of solidified him as my favorite new character <laughs> in this series. It was just great seeing him fleshed out and just seeing how he deals with certain aspects of the world and that's going on and just that trauma of that night of seeing of being there for the squid attack and it was just cool seeing visually on screen for the first time the giant squid in yeah. the destructive new york city so that looked cool and just the aftermath of how that affects not only looking glass but other people and the pretty much the mental illness that you get with it yeah like genetic um trauma yeah right? it's called like like there was that one guy that at their meeting that wasn't even born yet mm-hmm. and like like he think or i'm not sure if this is a thing in the show but the the yeah the the genetic trauma where it can be passed from his mother to because his mother was there and it can be passed to your child yeah i just thought that was interesting like same here hey, like you can you can pass that down i i, I don't know if it's specific like that because of the psychic attack that also came with the the squid attack but i don't know i just thought that was interesting yeah me too just like a new aspect of it now it just wasn't a one and done thing and that's it (laughs) people are living with the effects of that attack and it's passing on to their children which it's obviously going to continue which again makes you think about it in a whole different way and now we know why that's pretty much the reason behind looking glass and his costume because of that material that he has for his mask it's what helps with his mind deal with the pain from that attack and that's why he wears a hat all the time it's laced with that material and that's why he wears his mask as much as he could and how he's just almost paranoid now for another attack like that where he has this bunker and this alarm that alerts him when there possibly might be another attack from the giant squid and when they get those squid rain <laughs> that comes out we saw in the first episode so there's all this new aspects added to the character that just makes him a well just layered character who you know understand what he's going through once you see him in the series and how he acts and just how he goes about his business and then again how it just plays into the investigation of the seventh cavalry and now he gets into that mix now where <laughs> he looks like he's going to solve the case of the one and find the guy who actually shot the police officer in episode one and finds their hideout. But it ends up being, they lured him there on purpose because they, how much maybe I'm not remembering, but I can't remember exactly the exact reason why they wanted to bring him in there and get him in and let them know what they're doing. Um, but we do get the reveal that uh, Senator Keene is mixed in with the seventh cavalry. He's kind of much, pretty much in charge of it and yeah. how, um, well, 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 I think it was to to show Looking Glass that it was a big hoax uh, because mm-hmm. the, the, there's that video of Adrian Vite and or talking to, I guess, President Elect at the time. Yeah, President Redford. Robert, yeah, <laughs> Robert Redford. So I, I think it was to show him that um, to to show that he's a victim of the world's biggest hoax. Yeah. I think was might have been the exact wording, but I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, because it just pretty much throws his whole world upside down. <laughs> Everything yeah. he, you know, his whole life up to that point was based on that attack, and then he finds out it's just a hoax. I mean, he lost his marriage because of it. Mm-hmm. Um, he's in this, you know, physical and mental pain that he has to deal with. 
for most of his life after that. So it's had to be a shock for him. And now that I remember it, I think that's right. The reason they wanted to bring him in and to show him all this is so they can get Angela off their back, off the investigation. Oh, they, right. they kind of bribe him about that, how you kind of get her off this case, do what you need to do. Otherwise, we'd have pretty much have to kill her. So that was another aspect of the character that I like as well at the very end. It may look like he's betraying Angela, but in the end, at least how I took it, he's actually helping her out, <laughs> yeah. kind of throwing her under the bus and getting under arrested. But and he's end up going to saving her life in the end because it gets her off the case. They don't have to set up the cavalry. He's not going to go after her and try to kill her. So she may end up hating him. I don't know if by the time the season's over, she'll forgive him or she finds out the truth or not. But um, he knows he did the right thing in helping her. So, but my biggest fear and question about this episode is the very end is looking glass still alive (laughs) (laughs) because i forgot about that the last i think it was the last shot of the episode we see members of the seventh cavalry storming into his house with guns we don't hear gunshots and we don't see what happens afterwards so they left it open to where it gives me hope that looking glass can fight them off and hopefully take them out he is a costume vigilante police officer after all so he could probably hold his own and I'd like to think if they were going to kill him off, they just would have showed it there and be done with it. So hopefully we'll get, we'll find out what happens and he's still alive. Cause I want to see more of this character, but yeah. um, it definitely left me hanging like, Oh, I can't end it that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But not only that, they also reveal that Senator Keen's or S- Senator Keen took control of the seventh cavalry while Judd Crawford took control of the, the police force to sort of have a standstill of the war, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. To I, so, so, so there's not a big fight, I guess. Yeah, it's kind of weird because if you're involved with the Seventh Cavalry, you're obviously, you know, not a great person <laughs> to be involved with them. Right. But yet, at the same time, they don't want to have this all-out war and kind of want to have peace. But yet, yeah. they're their ideas are still wrong, mixing it up with the right. people like the Seventh Cavalry. So it's definitely more than just all oh, their bad guys are mixed in with you know this radical uh, white supremacist group here. There's a little more layer to that, but still, <laughs> I mean, you don't want to see characters involved at all with this group. If you've seen them involved, you're going to view them as straight up bad guys and villains, which I do for the most part with Keen now. But there's this little more aspect to it where. They, in their minds, think they're doing it for the right reasons, but yet in the end, still <laughs> that group shouldn't yeah. even exist for them to be involved with. So, this is a lot more complex than you would originally think. Yeah, and not to mention Jed Crawford that still has his. It's not his; it's his dad's. Yeah, and hood. So just and going a little bit into the next episode where we get that scene between him and Will. Yeah, where he says, you know, it's not my, it's my grandfather's whatever. It's my legacy. Like, like, why would you be proud of that legacy? <laughs> if I know you it's, weren't a it's white supremacist in your own right. Yeah, it's not a good legacy to be holding on to. I know. <laughs> yeah. To be ashamed of it and get not even hold yeah. on to it. Yeah. Um, I I did want to say, I, you know, I was wondering where the the and, and I haven't re- reread Watchmen, right? Mm. And I was wondering where the Seventh Cavalry came from. I was wondering if the, it was a thing from 
that from the comics or is it something that the, the show showrunners slash writers made up. Um, but apparently, it's uh, it's in the supplemental material. In the, you, you know how each each issue of Watchmen had like a thing at the end. It was Hollis Hollis Mason, right? Yeah. Hollis Mason's autobiography. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There was a Night Owl article on owls, you know. <laughs> um, but Adrian Veidt actually brings it up. He he says something to the effect of, you know, what happens, you know, when the four four horsemen of death show up and or something or something like that. And then he mentions the Seventh Cavalry. So. Okay. Is is Adrian Veidt behind the Seventh Cavalry? Mm. Does he have anything to do with the Seventh Cavalry? Because yeah, it's did. he he's the only person that brings it up. That's interesting. I didn't realize yeah. that or remember that from it. So I wonder if that yeah. is something they're going to tie in. Be- so because it it does seem like I, I don't know if it seems like it to you, but it seems like all the Adrian Veidt scenes happened before the Oklahoma scenes. Yeah, I forget about that too, but. Yeah. And if you listen to the official Watchmen podcast, which is great after it, yeah. uh, every three episodes, the, they talked to, with David Lindelof about these three particular episodes. And he, I had to, when I heard him, I had to be reminded about that, how the stuff with Adrian Veidt's taking place in a totally different time than what we're seeing right, in right. the main thrusts of the episode. So we don't know if it's the future, if it's the past, or <laughs> when exactly, but time is passing differently from where he's at, so... I keep forgetting about that because when you're watching it, you think, you know, it's happening at the same time where we're seeing the other stuff. But it definitely is not. So it's going to be interesting to see where it fits. And if he does get off (laughs) that moon that he's on. Yeah, he's on Europa, uh, the moon of Saturn. Uh, I thought it was Jupiter. Was it Jupiter? Pretty sure it was Jupiter. I remember seeing that planet (laughs) once we got that shot of him. I could have swore it was Saturn. But, it's it's definitely one of those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's interesting now because if somehow he is part of the Seventh Cavalry in some way, and that maybe would explain how they got that video. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, yeah, I just can't wait for all this stuff to be answered. Not, not to mention, I, I really like the scene where Adrian Veidt launches himself into the uh, <laughs> into the sky and he lands <laughs> on the moon. And you see a bunch of dead uh, Mr. Uh, Mrs. Crookshanks and Mr. Phillipses all yeah. over the place. <laughs> and he, he rearranges their bodies to say, like, save me. or it said, save me D, I believe. Yeah, D, right? Yeah. yeah. And that brings the question, does it mean save me D for Dr. Manhattan or for something else? <laughs> that it, it's, it's for a new character called D, Tim. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's for your character, Dane, Doorman. Oh yeah, Doorman. <laughs> but uh, speaking of uh, characters that don't make any sense and uh, are kind of weird, um, I kind of want the you, you know how we had the the Looking Glass episode where we get to dive into his background. He was a Jehovah's mm-hmm. Witness. He was there on the attack. Um, you know now he's all screwed up because of the psychic attack and stuff like that. I kind of want that for. Red Scare, you know. <laughs> I wonder what, what what was going on. What was he up to in the Soviet Union? 
you know, <laughs> before before he came to America. And where did uh, he get his great costume? <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> where did he get his his red <laughs> balaclava? <laughs> um, <laughs> and also Pirate Jenny. I wanna, what's her story? You know, I like to think it's connected to the Black Freighter comic and story in some way. Yeah, because he wants to be a pirate. Isn't that the thing? Superhero comics didn't catch on, so everybody was in. Everybody's in yeah. pirates. Yeah. Pirate comics took over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that was a great episode, and it yeah. ends with Angela taking uh, the nostalgia pills that her grandfather gave her, just to kind of get out of being arrested and talking. And it takes us to a very trippy episode <laughs> for oh, the next yeah. one. <laughs> But man, um, was it good. Extremely great. well done. Yeah, jeez, yeah, wow. <laughs> but I, you have to answer my question, Tim. Yes, and I will say the comic book key aspect of it played a big part of me enjoying it. Because, yeah. But I just think in the end, we just got a great origin story for Hooded Justice. And finally getting his true origin story, at least for this series, because... I guess I'm sure there's some people out there who aren't thinking this is in canon with the main comic, but for those who are really enjoying the show and are taking it as part of the next story that follows the comic, like I am, it's, this is the Hooded Justice origin story. And I didn't think it could have been done any better. It was full of surprises. Um, this made you, really made you yeah. feel for the character, answered a lot of questions. And like you said, just from a TV making standpoint and directing aspect, so well done and so well made. Just everything about this episode clicks so well. Yeah, and I I was kind of spoiled on the fact that Will was uh, Hooded Justice because I looked at the IMDb. Oh, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, the 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 actor that plays Young Will, um, or I don't know, twenty something Will or whatever. <laughs> Um, he's listed as Hooded Justice. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and that was and a I, theory a lot of people had right when they first saw Will as the old man in the wheelchair. So right. it wasn't exactly a huge surprise, but even if it wasn't, it was just, like I said, so told so well and just so well executed. Yeah. That it just made for a great episode of superhero television. <laughs> yeah, because if you haven't read the comics, Hooded Justice plays essentially no role in yeah in watchmen besides that one scene with the original Sp- silk specter and the comedian mm-hmm. and uh the the hollis mason auto- autobiography where it says like oh he it he, he killed himself or he got into trouble and they found his body in the in the hudson river so yeah he pretty much plays no role but but then I think it was Damon Lindelof who said, y- you have to wonder why Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons wouldn't reveal his identity. You know, why didn't he take off his mask around mm-hmm. the other superheroes and stuff? You know, you have to wonder why he didn't do that. And I have to say that the show does make a really, really plausible explanation of why he yeah. did it. Because totally. he's an African American, and if they, if people at that time saw an African American rescuing them, they might get scared, you know, or whatever. So, yeah, they just, yeah, they it, would it, just they would probably view superhero costume vigilantes even more as criminals and threats yeah. without even giving them a chance. And yeah, right, they would. They would all fall apart. The whole 
uh, vigilantes. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so it, it it does make a lot of sense. And if, if you don't agree with that, then uh, it's I don't know. It, it it just makes so much sense to me. Yeah, especially I mean, just seeing what hard time he had as a police officer, right? Trying to do right, and then if they found out, you know, it was an African American being the first vigilante. Like I said, it would just paint a wrong stigma against them that they would they we wouldn't see any other vigilantes after that. And right. it just made sense why he would have to do that. Cause that was another thing. They kept portraying hooded justice as just, you know, a white man under that hood. And even when that was in the TV show, within the TV show, um, I forget the name of it. Is it behind the Cape or uh, 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 American, uh, American hero story. There it is. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I don't know where I got yeah. behind the Cape from, but <laughs> the cape. that's probably like some that. documentary somewhere, but <laughs> But even how they're portraying Hooded Justice there, we, in this episode starts where he takes off his mask and it's just this white guy under there. And yeah. so, and they even, there's over the course of certain episodes how I believe it was uh, Laurie's, this, that other agent, with, that's what Laurie Blake is saying, how that show is filled with inaccuracies. <laughs> so you can't right. put too much stock in what they're showing you on there. And, and, and we do see the in, in, inaccuracy because we see Hooded Justice going to the clan um the clan meeting and then he busts out of the the back entrance of the the um yeah the grocery super, store the grocery store yeah and we see that portrayed in that is it the first second episode it was the second episode second second episode we see that uh play out and it's way way different mm-hmm. so yeah this makes total sense how that could be exaggerated in a totally different way you got certain aspects of it right but it was yeah. told totally differently <laughs> and it was great to see uh, it. It was great to see Tim. And I know you you watched the first season of True Detective. It was great to see uh, the Yellow King. Oh, who did he play? Fred. Oh, he, <laughs> he did. Yeah, yeah, that was that, that was the Yellow King. Man, I totally <laughs> for, forgot about. That. <laughs> yeah, and uh, speaking of that character, Fred, did did you see the articles? Connecting him to to a certain somebody. Nah, within the show, you mean, or just in after? Uh, in, in in our world. Okay, no, uh, I haven't. A, a a famous guy with with the last name. His last name starts with a T. No, I totally didn't <laughs> pick up on you, it. Yeah, that. you have to look it up. <laughs> Um, it's it's uh, FT and Sons is the name of the the butcher or whatever the butchering butchering company or whatever that Fred owns, and it's okay. It's <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> I just did a search for it now, and yeah, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> There's a really big connection. <laughs> okay, now I can see how it is the Yellow King, but now his face looks familiar. Yeah, yeah, I, mean, I totally did, didn't pick up on that though. Yeah, yeah, it was the Yellow King from uh, True Detective season yeah. one. <laughs> the actor just playing another horrible person. <laughs> <laughs> you had that right. He um, does a good job at it. <laughs> Nothing against the, say the actors like that. Just does a great right. job as an actor portraying people you hate. Yeah, that's actually the second time I've seen him play a racist. By the way, <laughs> the, the first time he played a racist cop in Twilight Zone, the Jordan Peele. 
okay. Twilight Zone, which is a really good episode. <laughs> Hope he doesn't get you know typecast as that. But yeah, I I, I really like the um, how uh, it it was shot. Not not only because it interchanged between between um, Angela and or Regina King and um, that twenty something Will Reeves guy. Um, but also because of the the one the one shot daredevil esque fight scenes, I really really like that. Yeah, uh, you know when he breaks into the to the warehouse meat packing area yeah. and he's fighting all the the clans members. I really like that. Yeah, it was shot beautifully. Like so, the action in this episode was one of the series' best too. Is him yeah. putting on the hood for the first time and taking out those muggers, and like you said, the action sequence with him fighting the clan that leads into the grocery store. So just a lot of cool action beats for this character. And again, the reason I just love it so much is just the origin story it created for him. Right. Just how it's a tragic story. Yeah. It's a real really tragic is. story. I mean, he, he, he does this to, you know, get his rage out and to help people, but then it ends up turning against him. And especially with the Miniman. I mean, he kind yeah. of sort of has a relationship with Captain Metropolis and it's revealed that, you know, Will is gay or bi or, you know, what have you. Um, and then he's trying to take down Cyclops, which is pretty much the clan in, in New York City. And nobody wants to help him because it's not it, it, it's not good for... Their image or... Their, their image yeah. or their advertising or sponsorships or whatever. Yeah, there's right? that image. So, there's that scene where, you know, you see that them oh, taking yeah. that classic photo. Uh, yeah. And Hooded Justice is trying to expose Cyclops, but then Metropolis stops and they show that racist, horrible yeah, yeah. billboard <laughs> pr- promo. And it's just like, man, <laughs> like you really awful. feel for this guy and everything that he's gone through and he's trying to do good, even amongst people he thinks are on the same side as him, or still, you know, <laughs> yeah. obviously the fight is best to be fought within, too, <laughs> against the, the racial prejudice and all that stuff going on within. But just going back to the very first scene of this series of the Tulsa massacre and seeing Will now knowing that Will was that little boy and that boy becomes hooded justice and this adds to his origin story and how I think it's a very compelling one and you can understand all the rage that he has and the need to get it out as hooded justice and going into you know the prejudice within the police force trying to do good there amongst the police officers there and then all that does for him is get him lynched and almost killed. And yeah. the fact that that plays into him becoming hooded justice, I thought was brilliant to the costume. Now we know why he has the, why he wears the hood and he has the noose around him as part it of his costume. It makes so much sense. Yeah. It yeah. makes so much sense. I mean, he has the black hood because that's what they put over him. He has the noose because they're going to lynch him. Um, and he he has the rope around his arms or his his wrists because they they bound his wrists together. Yep. You know, and that's what makes him the superhero that he is, or the the vigilante because we don't say superhero right in yeah. the Watchmen universe. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and I I don't think we ever see him in his comic, um, his comic uh, costume. Right. He only has that. No, we wears, do. Well, we do. Yeah. Oh, the, the shot where they're shoot. taking that picture, he wears his full costume. Right, the photo shoot, right? Yeah. 
And I think he wears it when he fought uh, the clan members in their base. I think that was his first night out, and he attacked. I'm pretty sure he had his full costume on there. Really? Yeah. Mm. I I gotta rewatch it too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I just want to rewatch it again after talking about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I gotta say, another thing that I really like, and this just goes into being a comic book nerd. I do like how Superman and Action Comics one played a little role in him <laughs> wanting to become a vigilante because there is something really cool about once that person he was talking to reading action comics number one and boy if they only knew how valuable that comic would become (laughs) (laughs) while reading it but just how he was telling telling him the origin of superman and will is just really taken to it because it is similar to his own life of what happened with his parents sending him away to this to get away from pretty much their world being destroyed and they did it to protect their son and this how he's really couldn't relate to superman and i think that played a part in him wanting to become a vigilante as well too so throwing in that little wrinkle of action comics and the story of superman inspiring him as well i thought was really cool yeah and that that's the i i guess um will will being a police officer and you know uh reading action comics it's the hollis mason story right they're mm-hmm. they're kind of copying the hollis mason story and so like did hollis mason know uh, Will Reeves, or did he take, you know, Hooded Justice is origin story, you know? Uh-huh. Like, like, why would they just copy it? Yeah. So that, that's, that's the thing. I'm he has to know certain aspects of them. They work together for a little bit, even though it's implied that Hooded Justice kept to himself a lot and didn't interact yeah. probably too much with the other members of the Minutemen, but... There'd be some stuff I think Hollis Mason would know about him that he would put in that book. Yeah, but why would he apply it to his own story? You know? Yeah, so that's a good point, too. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe just one of those things where he took a little liberty there <laughs> and wanted right. to put that for himself. Because, like, again, knowing when you tell these stories or put these into a a TV show or a tell-all book or whatnot, there might be some exaggerations and stuff that's not always going to be 100% true. So maybe he took that and wanted to make it a part of himself because he maybe wished that was more for him. <laughs> yeah. Right. I don't know why he became a hero. <laughs> yeah. And also we, we, we get the, um, how Will <laughs> um, got Judd to essentially hang himself. Yeah. Uh, with the with the mesmerism because the mm-hmm. the clan was using this mesmerism technique to have African Americans attack each other and you know create chaos and will you know after he takes down the 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 clan hideout or whatever you call it mm-hmm. um, he takes a he takes a camera and I guess he learns the mesmerism technique and he he uses it on on Judd. Um, how did he put down the spike strip, though? <laughs> I think it's only doable when you're in a wheelchair. <laughs> yeah, I guess. You just got to throw it out, right? Yeah, yeah. Just move it along while you're in your wheelchair. <laughs> but yeah, I thought that was a, that was a great way to... Um, kind of tie of, it all back. Yeah, tie it all back and show yeah. how... There is something satisfying about him using the clan's own weapon against them later it was all these years later <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it, it it also poses a question like is it, with the judd character like is there is there such a thing as a good racist you know 
Mm-hmm. And the answer is no. No, I, mean, yeah, no. I was going to say, no. well, they might raise that question, but it's still no. <laughs> yeah, it's still, a, it's still a big no. I mean, I know it's your legacy, but, you know, I know I, I know your dad was a clan member, but no. It's, and even it's, if you're it's, trying it's, to, quote unquote, keep peace, it's still, right. <laughs> you shouldn't even be involved with them still in the first place. Right. You shouldn't do it that way, you know. I mean, yeah, he even tries to tell Will, you know, I'm doing this to help you people. Right. That's what he tells her to try to justify it, but it's still like well. it's it's the wording, you know, the yeah. you people, yeah. It's the mm-hmm. it's the wording you gotta watch out for. Um but yeah, I I just like how they tied it they connected to the end. And not only that, but apparently only Lady True can cure you from overdosing on uh nostalgia. Yeah, apparently. Um Oh, uh, also, I wanted to, I wanted to, um, I guess, ask you, the, there's that scene after Will takes out the, or, uh, yeah, takes out the clan meeting, all the clan members, and he goes home, and his son is dressing, I guess, Angela's dad is yeah. dressing as him, putting on the white face makeup, and putting on the the cape and stuff and will has a reaction where it's like don't do that don't dress up like this why do you think that was yeah i think he just he knows kind of what is becoming as even though he is taking down these bad people he does probably recognize his anger and rage that he has with it he doesn't want to see his son like that too and doesn't want to see him follow in his footsteps but i also think too he also feels, you know, he doesn't want to see his son put on that white makeup as well because he shouldn't have to. He, right. Oh, he okay. Kind of has to do it as a necessity for all right. the reasons we talked about and what his wife told him to do it for as well. But he knows that shouldn't be the case. And hopefully, there's a point where, if any other, if his son wanted to be a vigilante or any other African Americans, they wouldn't and shouldn't have to do that. So that's kind of the reaction I got from it, kind of twofold, where he doesn't want him to be as angry as he is, but at the same time too, not seeing his son put on that white makeup. He doesn't want to see that because it shouldn't be that way, even for him. Right. Right. I see. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, but, but, but going back to lady true, what do you think the, the watchtower, the, the, the millennium clock is for? Yeah, I don't know. I haven't really put too much speculation into that. I'm kind of just waiting to see for myself, but it's almost seems like it's going to be they want to up Adrian Vite on what he did <laughs> back yeah. uh, with the squid attack. So I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see if it is something more extravagant than that or they have totally different reason and cause for it. So I don't know. I'm just anxious to find out. I'm not speculating too much on it, to be honest with you. But right. I it's hope it's be- not that. I hope it's not. They're they're trying to one up Adrian Vite. Uh yeah, I just hope that it's something completely different. And uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I just hope it, it's not that. And we should find out soon, though. I mean, it's hard to believe yeah. we only got three more episodes. Left I know, in the right? Series. So, it's, and I get uh, scared a little bit too that Damon Lindelof keeps saying how it was kind of intended just to be a one and done season. But yeah. Well, Tim, uh, I will say as a as a watcher of the leftovers, um, the the leftover season one, t- 
takes place in upstate New York, right? And uh-huh. it has everything to do with that their little town. Um, but the second season, they sort of erase all storylines of what was happening, and they move it down to Texas. Um, and in season three, the same thing. They sort of erase everything um, that season two did. And, and, and they do introduce the next season through a storyline that makes zero sense um, in the previous season. So in season three, they move it down to uh, Australia. So I think that's what he meant. So it could just be this is the only season with these characters and these events. And season two could be something totally different. Same characters, different oh. story. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, that's kind of yeah. weird. <laughs> I don't know if I want to see that with this. But... Yeah. It's also... well, it's pretty much each season's a retcon. It's not so much a retcon as it's this happened and now we're going to move on to the next part of our story. You know? And we're going to make sort of slight references to what happened before, but it's going to be mostly about what's happening here in Texas and what's happening here in uh, Australia. But it's with the same characters. Same characters, yeah. Yeah, same characters. Oh, that's interesting. I don't know if that'd be something I'd still be a fan of, but again, maybe I haven't seen The Leftovers, so maybe it works in the course of that show. Yeah, it does work. It, it, It works, Tim. Don't worry. Okay. <laughs> you're gonna be fine it's okay well, all i'm worried about is that watchman's only gonna be one season so knowing how good it is i want to see more so i'm yeah. hoping for season two and three and beyond but yeah. if this is it uh man it's been great so far Just really can't wait to see how it's gonna end and how it all connects and wraps up because he david lindelof is saying that everything will be connected and answered for the most part there might be a few lingering questions but the main plot threads and big questions everyone has will be answered by the time the season is over so and i can say after watching the leftovers uh he does he he makes good on his his promises like that that's good (laughs) because he did the same thing with the leftovers um and yeah don't worry about it don't worry about these weird story threads that <laughs> seem to be going nowhere, it will be answered. If not this season, next season. Good to know. Yeah. I'm going to be there to enjoy the ride. One thing I... One, my one point of criticism for the show, Tim, it's not a very big piece of criticism, but as someone that lives in the area or the general, 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 big general area, uh, bringing Vietnam and all of its humanity to Oklahoma <laughs> is a huge slap in my face. <laughs> and someone that experiences tropical humidity, I am offended. <laughs> <laughs> I, so during the summer, I wish for one day, Tim, one day with just dry heat. Just regular old dry heat like you would get in California or Arizona or mm-hmm. Las Vegas, you know, or Texas, you know. Just one day of just dry heat. Not humid humid heat where you get out of the shower and it feels like you're still in the shower. <laughs> <laughs> just one day, Tim. But, Yeah. If, if you're going to move to Oklahoma, don't bring the humid 
humidity with you. <laughs> <laughs> so you wouldn't last uh, an hour or at all in Lady Drew's big tower <laughs> or her office. Is vi- her her uh, vivarium? No, no, I would not. <laughs> Even if they offered you so much money to work there to be her assistant. You know what? I'm gonna pass. <laughs> I'm gonna pass because Vietnam can stay in Vietnam. Tropical humidity can stay in Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good to know now, Dane. I know yeah. where you you draw the line. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Watchmen has been great, and yeah, this has been um, this last this last episode. Uh, this extraordinary being is probably my favorite uh, episode or episode of TV I've seen in a long, long time. Yeah, there's just so much great stuff about it. So yeah, if you haven't jumped on board on Watchmen yet, definitely <laughs> start yeah. checking it out now. And or yeah. it'll be there for you to binge once it's over. But at least definitely check it out at some point. But um, one more TV show to go over. <laughs> That's <laughs> been awesome as well the mandalorian continues to just knock it out of the park in my opinion (laughs) and we got two more episodes one of them was absolutely fantastic and the other was a little smaller scale but still some great story moments and character progression for our hero or anti-hero how you want to look at him but man i'm still loving the series and what it's doing for star wars and live action television it just incredible i mean the third episode with the mandalorian bringing baby yoda back to his client to get paid for it you knew what was probably going to happen in that episode where he'd feel regret about turning it in but i thought what happened in this episode would happen later on in the season (laughs) the fact that we saw him going in to retrieve baby yoda back and just having a great action sequence amongst these stormtroopers and getting the baby back was phenomenal. And then that causes, he goes against the bounty hunters code or the bounty hunters guild code. And it sends a bunch of other bounty hunters after him to stop him from leaving with the baby and to bring it back to their client. And that made a totally other great, awesome action sequence that happened afterwards with, Mandalorians flying in and helping him escape with this fantastic shootout. Man, there's so much great stuff about that one episode, I think, both from a story standpoint and from an action standpoint. It was just crazy how awesome it was. And I like the distinction that the show's making where Mandalorian doesn't automatically mean you're a bounty hunter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's Mandalorian is its own separate thing, and it's so Mandalorians. Some Mandalorians decide to become bounty hunters. And yeah, I just like that distinction. But man, that episode, w- when he does the quick draw on all the bounty hunters, yeah. and he, he jumps into that car. Oh, that was, that was cool. And to, to, to see all, finally, finally see yeah. all these Mandalorians in their jetpacks fighting. <laughs> I just thought it was really cool. Yeah. Was... And that big guy with the Gatling gun. Yeah. yeah. It was just amazing to see in live action. We've seen stuff like that in Clone Wars before, but yeah. seeing all those Mandalorians come together in a big shootout in live action was just a sight to behold. And I got to be honest, I kind of felt that's where the episode was going to go once we saw the Mandalorian had no way out. 
kind of figured that's who was going to help him and get out of that jam, but it didn't make it any less awesome to see. <laughs> but as cool as that was, I actually, my favorite part of the episode was seeing him retrieve Baby Yoda again and making his escape from that location, taking out the stormtroopers. Oh, just... he does a Batman move. He does the Batman move where, with that doctor guy, mm-hmm. where he's like, you know, intimidating him, and then, you know, the, the doctor's like saying something, and then uh, he he looks back, and the Mandalorian and Baby Yoda are gone. Yeah, without a sound. <laughs> <laughs> I just love the idea of this character with this cool-looking armor, and he has this cute little baby with him, and he's taking out all these stormtroopers to protect this baby. There's just something visually cool about it, and just, again, adding to this character that you're really rooting for here, because you're just seeing that, even if he didn't, if he's in the first episode being introduced as this bounty hunter, this cold bounty hunter who's only out for himself and to get the job done, you see he does have a heart and he does care about this relationship he's forming with this child already. And it's just, it built it so well in episode two. And now you're seeing the fruition of that in episode three and how much he cares and doesn't want to see any harm come to it. And he feels it's his responsibility to protect it for whatever the empire has in store for it. So it was just great seeing him protect this child and mixed in with some great active sequences of him using all of the gadgets and technology in his Mandalorian suit take out these stormtroopers. Then he used the flamethrower. He uses grappling hook. Um, he used that cool move with all those missiles firing, firing at the stormtroopers uh, out of his gauntlet, which he just got built from the money he got from the bounty. So, so much great stuff about this episode from a story standpoint, character standpoint, action standpoint. It was just amazing, and it was directed by Deborah Chow, who's going to be directing. The man, the Obi Wan TV series, and if this episode is any indication, oh yeah, Obi Wan is going to be amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's it, she. She was. I don't know if you noticed him, but she was using the handheld camera. It looked like a, you know, like war footage. Um, I, yeah, a little I, bit. I, yeah, just I, I like that effect, and not to mention Tim. And I think you kind of you you kind of sidestepped it, but. We finally get to see the Mandalorian in his Mandalorian armor, right? Mm-hmm. His his full kit, not just like a shoulder pad and his busted his former formerly busted uh, armor. You know, now he has a mirror. He's a walking mirror. Yeah, it looks really <laughs> cool though. I love how shiny it is. It's, it's almost yeah. like a Mandalorian version of Captain Phasma. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So yeah, that was just great. And the episode that just aired this week, episode four, where he tries to go into hiding with Baby Yoda on this remote planet. Um, this episode, like I said, is, is a little smaller in scale and it takes a little step back to kind of calm things down for a little bit. Um, but it is a familiar story we've seen in Star Wars before about these these new people coming into a location and helping these farmers and villagers who can't fight against these uh, marauders attacking their village and they need help. So they're going to pay the wanderer. <laughs> like, I mean, it's the seven samurai magnificent seven, that type of story. And like I said, star Wars done it before there was an episode of clone wars called the bounty called bounty hunters where Anakin, Ahsoka and Obi-Wan help these villagers on Felucia, protect them from these bounty hunters or they work with these bounty hunters to protect it from Hondo and the pirates. So it's pretty similar to that. It's a story trope we've seen before. But again, seeing it 
in live action in Star Wars with the Mandalorian and introducing Cara Dune, who's already a cool character. And I just love the team up between her and the Mandalorian. Looks like they have a good rapport already with how they do battle and just how they interact with each other. So how, more close- how, how come they're introducing all these characters? But is it, is it like a one and done sort of thing? No, she's going to be back. We've yeah, seen. you see, I I always keep on every time he meets somebody, like like the Ugnaught in the first episode, uh-huh. or or Kara. What's her name? Kara, Kara. Yeah, Kara Dune. Kara Dune, right? I I think they're gonna join him on on the the Razor Crest. Uh, <laughs> like they're just gonna be part of his crew. Yeah, yeah, they're gonna be part of the crew. Maybe at the end of the <laughs> of the first season. No, I don't know. Yeah, because right. we've seen shots and stuff from trailers where she comes back and she has this big you know, mini gun that she's going to yeah. use to take out some stormtroopers. So they'll definitely be teaming up again. Not to mention, where's IG 11? Uh, he's, I wonder if he's still stuck on the desert planet. Yeah, <laughs> or... is, he, is he still dead? <laughs> but he has to come back too. I think somehow, yeah. some way he's going to be repaired. <laughs> yeah. He's just too good of a character to not to be back. That's to mention he's in the promo material. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Same thing with uh, Kara. Because with IG-11, I think, pretty sure for the stuff we saw of him in the trailers was all in that first episode. So he's someone who maybe, if there's anyone who might not be back for another episode, it might be him. But I still think he's going to be back because he's too good of a character to only use for one episode. Yeah. So, yeah, this the series continues to be great. I love, again, even though it was smaller in scale than episode three, I just love how different and unique episode four was. Just having to be more character driven because we do get more about the Mandalorian and his past and why he doesn't take off the helmet and just diving into why he does what he does. So just more kind of character building and diving into more of the Mandalorian history and lore in both episodes. So I just love getting all that stuff. <laughs> it just makes me enjoy it so much more. So, yeah, he, he, he almost takes off his helmet. <laughs> well, he does take it off, but we just don't see it. <laughs> it's yeah, like a Master but... Chief moment. <laughs> Yeah, not not in front of every anybody, but he he the that lady almost takes off his own. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't gonna allow that though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, but uh, uh, I guess my favorite part of what makes this series, uh, The Mandalorian, really good is the um, and it it has been said before on different websites, but. And from different people, but I, I like how it's like a video game, right? It's like an RPG, right? It's like you, you, you start getting the armor and stuff, and you're on the main quest. But there's also these side quests, like like this episode, where That's true. Yeah. they go to this planet, and, you know, they're, they're doing a job for these villagers, and... Yeah, I I I I just like how it, it it almost seems like a like a uh, a video game, like an RPG. Mm, yeah, I could see that. It does have that feel where each episode yeah. is almost like you're going to a different level or progression of a game, and you get new items at the end of it <laughs> once yeah. it's done. But it also has that real. It it really really seems like a western. Oh, um, easily, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you got like the the theme song of it with that whistle thing, <laughs> whatever uh, that is. Yeah, 
they're definitely not hiding the fact of what <laughs> their inspiration is. Yeah, like the first time you see the Mandalorian, he's walking into a saloon, right? Mm. Quote unquote saloon, right? So, yeah, I, I I love this show, Tim. It just keeps getting better and better. Uh, this this past episode four was directed by Bryce Dallas Howard. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I I, I just love it. <laughs> Not right there with you. I mean, it's just great time to be a Star Wars fan between this, between the Mandalorian, Fallen Order, Rise of Skywalker in a few weeks. It just yeah. doesn't get any better than this, man. <laughs> it really doesn't. Not to mention, we also got Watchmen. Yeah, it's like I said, so many cool stuff to choose from on the TV front. So Yeah, and and, and you know what I, I've been meaning to say? I know you like the Watchmen movie, Tim. Mm. Um, what I really, really, really love about the Watchmen TV show is the fact that it seems like the, the writers and and Damon Lindelof, it seems like they really understand what Alan Moore was trying to do, what Dave Gibbons was trying to do, and they understand the material ra- rather than just showing a shot-for-shot shot thing where it's like, look at this. You remember this from the comic? Do you remember this from the comic? Here's Hallelujah by <laughs> Leonard Cohen in a really uncomfortable scene. Um, and look how cool this looks. And it, it, it doesn't seem like the movie really understood the comic, whereas the television show, it really understands the source material. And, and like, y- you see it with the Seventh Cavalry, with, even with Laurie Blake, you know, how she's sort of takes on the persona of the comedian, you know? And mm, yeah, that's a good you, point. I never really thought of that, but <laughs> Yeah, and you you, right. you can kind of tell that it's not her and she's she's kinda like the Harley Quinn series where it's just trying way too hard and it's getting a little sad. You know? So it's the understanding of the source material. And it's it, it, that it—that's what makes it so great. Well, I will agree that obviously David Lindelof and the other people involved with the show understand the source material yeah. fantastically and get it. But I will say, too, I'm not going to say that Zack Snyder and those behind the movie didn't either. So I know yeah, we're disagree yeah. on the movie, but or at least a better understanding, maybe. But again, they're trying to tell a different story here. So I yeah, yeah, I guess so. Uh, one one thing that the Watchmen show does really well is uh, when Laurie Bla- sp- specifically Laurie Blake is talking with like uh, let's say Looking Glass right in the in that pod. Mm-hmm. How stupid Looking Glass looks! Yeah. <laughs> like now now the mask doesn't look as cool. Um, it's it's the same thing with with Angela. Now she doesn't look so cool. Um, the, the Sister Knight outfit doesn't look very cool because she's kind of making fun of it, right? And it, uh, it, it is kind of ridiculous. It does look ridiculous. Um, that's what the show does superbly. Like, j- just so perfect. I still think they look cool, though. Especially looking glass. No matter what Lori Blake says. <laughs> Even though she's probably right. Yeah. It still looks cool. But anyway, yeah. Uh, great TV. Uh, the, Ma- the the Mandalorian, uh, 
everything I wanted in a Star Wars TV show, Tim. Yeah. It's, it's exceeded my expectations. That's how great it is. And you yeah. know how excited <laughs> I was for it beforehand. So just you know, that just goes to tell you how great they're doing with it. You know, the Mandalorian kind of reminds me of something I've always wanted to see, right? The, the Mandalorian is kind of something I've always wanted to see. Like, what about the bounty hunters? What, what do they do? You know, where do they go? Um, what's happening with them? This kind of reminds me of the, the, the Sidious and um Darth Maul fight on that planet in the Clone Wars. Mm. Which was Mandalore. <laughs> oh Mandalore, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they, fought, they fought in Mandalore. Yep. Um, it, it sort of reminds me of that. Like this is how the Sith take care of business. This is what happens. They fight it out. You know? It's it's just something I've always wanted to see. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there's like yeah, you said it best. Perfect <laughs> is what they're doing, <laughs> establishing the bounty hunter and this is even Mandalorian lore and histories. It's just so so good. Yeah. I could not be happier with it. And that's saying something. <laughs> now, is there anybody that doesn't like it? I'm sure there is, but I don't even want to <laughs> find out who it is or what or what their complaints are. Because <laughs> you could have some nitpicks about it, but. To actually not like it, I don't see how that's possible as a Star Wars fan, <laughs> to be yeah. honest. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So, yeah, great stuff in the land of TV, and I think more great stuff to come in all these series, except Harley Quinn, so <laughs> that's the only one <laughs> I'm not excited about seeing more. <laughs> so they all, they all can't be winners, but for the most part, it's a lot of great stuff to watch out there. Yeah. So, yeah, that's it for our featured topic, but not too many news stories to go about these last few weeks, but one of them I had to mention. But first off, a little bit of more casting news for The Batman. Um, Matt Reeves announced on Twitter that John Totoro is going to be playing Carmine Falcone in his movie. So um, can you count him as another villain added <laughs> to this film, or does he not count as one of the main Batman's rogues galleries entry into this film? But regardless... Carmine Falcone is going to be in this movie and John Turturro is going to play him. So to, just more cool casting news. I have seen John Turturro stuff, so we're, we're getting more actors who I've actually seen. <laughs> Did uh, you know I'm, he... I'm curious. What what have you seen him in? Well, he was in the Transformers movies, but that's not his uh, best role. But yeah. <laughs> see, what I remember him most as, he actually played Billy Martin in an ESPN movie about the Yankees in the 70s, like when they first signed Reggie Jackson. Really? Yeah, I think it was called Bronx Zoo, <laughs> and he played uh, Billy Martin. And I actually thought he did a good job. Does he look like Billy Martin? No, right? Not. Uh, he pulled it off pretty well, though. There, when you just look yeah. at a picture of him now, he doesn't. You wouldn't think so, but yeah. when he's in like a Yankee cab, Yankee gear, I think he pulled it off pretty well, even though not looking exactly like him. Who did he play in? Uh, I mean, um, who played Reggie? I uh, I don't remember. Was oh, it like a well, no name? Actor? Well, well-named actors, I don't believe. Oh, okay. And this was back in 2007, too, so it was a while ago. Maybe they're well-known act- actors now, <laughs> but yeah. back then, I don't think so. What's that movie called? Bronx Zoo. I'm actually looking it up right now to see if it brings oh. up anything well, about not, it. Not the Bronx Zoo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. That's, I typed that in, and that came up. <laughs> yeah, I guess you got to be more specific. <laughs> SPN Bronxy 2007. 
don't know. Keeps bringing up Bronx Zoo stuff. <laughs> we have to look up later. So. Uh, but he was the actor, the only one I remembered or known in that movie. So now he's going to be Billy Martin and a crime boss as Carmine Falcone. That's so weird. He played he played uh, Billy Martin. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Um, I've 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 seen him uh, in uh, another HBO show, uh, The Night Elves. Okay. Um, starring uh, I forget his name, Bodie. Adrian Brody. No. Um, Did you say Brody or Bodie? Right, I, gotta look, I, I gotta look it up real quick. Um, from uh, Rogue One. Um, oh, Bodie, Bodie Rook. You mean uh, yeah, Riz yeah, Ahmed? Yeah, Riz Ahmed. Okay, yeah. I thought you were talking about an actor named Brody. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> that's why I thought of Adrian Brody. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I've seen him in that. So, yeah, he's a good actor. And I think he can pull off of Crime Boss pretty well. So, <laughs> well, if you can pull up Billy Martin, yeah, not look anything <laughs> like him, <laughs> I suppose. His acting potential is unlimited. Then, <laughs> if he can pull that off, I guess he kind of looks like Billy Martin. You got to see him like in the full Yankee gear and everything. Does he play an old Billy Martin? Well, just however old he was in 1978 or 77 when they first got Reggie Jackson, because that's when the series takes place. Mm. Yeah, he was in his he was in his 50s. Billy Martin or John yeah, Turturro? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Billy Martin. <laughs> Billy Martin. But, yeah. Again, you just have to see it. <laughs> I thought he pulled yeah. it off well. <laughs> yeah, I guess. But the other bit of news I just wanted to talk about, not really news, but an image that got released of Crisis on Infinite Earths. We got our first look at Kevin Conroy as Bruce Wayne in live action. And he looks awesome. <laughs> we said before how since Brendan Routh is playing the Kingdom Come Superman, that maybe they're going to do the same with Kevin Conroy's Bruce Wayne. They did say he would be older. And it looks like they're going that route because in the image they have, he's in a suit, but also he has these metallic armored shoulder pads that are not exactly what he wore in Kingdom Come. But to me, it has that feel and vibe to it. And I think that's what they're going for. And it just looks really cool (laughs) seeing Kevin Conroy actually playing Bruce Wayne. And it's going to be even more cooler when we hear him talk with that iconic voice and we see him as Bruce Wayne in live action. It's going to be great. He did say he's only going to be in one episode. It's just the Batwoman portion of it. So hopefully he makes his presence known in there. And he's not underutilized. <laughs> he has a big role that one episode. If that's all we're going to get him in. But just seeing that image just makes me so excited to see Kevin Conroy as Bruce Wayne in live action. It's just going to be so cool. I just like the look they have going for him so far. So I can't wait. It's just, I believe, two more weeks till it airs. So um, it's going to be here before we know it, and I can't wait. Avatar was a Disney movie? <laughs> what a smooth transition there. Kevin Conroy <laughs> to Avatar. No, no. I, I just closed the window, and my Disney Plus came up, and I just see Avatar. <laughs> well, it's because it's, it was Fox, and Disney has Fox now, so they technically see. have Avatar. <laughs> also why they have uh, Home Alone. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think they've had that before, so that is another thing from Fox. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I guess uh, James Cameron can now take another 20 years to make 
a one sequel to Avatar. <laughs> I still haven't even seen the first movie, so he can take as much time as he wants. I don't know if I'll ever see it. <laughs> yeah. So, mm. yeah. I guess that's it for our news and discussion topics. Not too much. I know there's been reports about Todd Phillips saying how they're going to do a Joker sequel. Uh, oh, Tim. I didn't see this before. I'm so, I'm so sorry. I, I, <laughs> see, I take it this has nothing to do with what I was talking about with Joker. Yeah, yeah. I'm, so, I'm <laughs> so sorry, Tim. I don't mean to interrupt you, but Disney Plus has the original X-Men animated series. You did not know that? No. That was like one of the big things that everyone was excited about that it was going to be on there. And they have like the 15 Spider-Man shows. They got every, pretty much almost every Marvel animated series on there. Do they have the, the Fox movies? Not yet. I think they're going to get those pretty soon, but not, not just yet. Well, I guess I know what I'm doing after. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you got to finish <laughs> Star Wars Rebels first. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, or you could—I guess you could split them up. No, no, I can't do two. Um, I, I did finish the office, um, so that I can focus on something else. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and it's probably going to be Rebels. So it's only four seasons, so it shouldn't take you too long. Yeah, it's not like nine, nine seasons, and eight and nine aren't very good. <laughs> two without the best character on the show. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, uh, but as I was saying, all those yeah, sorry. reports sorry. about Todd Phillips and Warner Brothers doing a Joker sequel, Hollywood Reporter said they are, but then Todd Phillips and other reporters are saying, oh, we haven't had any discussions about that. So I don't know what's going on there. So no need to speculate on it too much <laughs> until we get any official word. So, but, but other than that, not too much new stuff going on. But with that, go ahead and go into our comic book review for this episode, which is going to be Batman number 83, continuing on the City of Bane storyline. And as always, going to go into spoilers that are in this episode or (laughs) this issue. I said I forget about mentioning spoiler warnings when we're talking about our feature topic, but I don't seem to forget it when we're talking comic book reviews. (laughs) I don't know why I can't do do it for both, but comic book reviews, probably because we've been... Do, saying it so long for 190 episodes it's <laughs> just automatic but not in our future topic one of these days i'll automatically say it for both but so yeah spoilers obviously in i'm going to talk about in this issue and our rating scale for this episode what should it be dave um just really quick before i give my spoiler scale um spoiler also, scale. <laughs> yeah, i mean my my comic book rating scale they also have the x-men Rev- evolution show they also got wolverine and the x-men on there too which was really to, i haven't seen all of it but it was i remember seeing the first few episodes that being really good oh yeah yeah they, they also have the old iron man show never seen that one i've heard me neither I heard it's pretty good but doesn't get talked about a lot. Not like the uh, X-Men and Spider-Man show. The old Avengers show, definitely don't watch. No, but definitely watch Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes. That is one of the best Marvel animated series you're going to get. See, do they have it? Yeah, it's on there. Yep, they have it. It's pretty much like the Marvel Justice League animated series and Justice League Unlimited. It's really good. Oh, I see. Um, my rating scale for this episode is going to be times Dane distracts Tim 
about with, things he finds on Disney. Plus. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Appropriate for yeah. <laughs> this comic book review section. Uh, one more interruption, Tim. Uh, is the Runaways the Runaways on Hulu? Yeah, it's the same series. So, so they're they're posting it on Hulu and Disney Plus. Yeah, it's probably going to leave Hulu soon because I know it's going to go on to its last season. So yeah. maybe it's just going to be on Disney Plus after that. But I've never seen that show, so I'm not 100 percent sure how great it is or bad it is. <laughs> so yeah. I don't know one way or the other. Well, I just wanted to give it a try. That's why. Oh, that that um, that Spider-Man original animated series is calling my name, Tim. <laughs> the 90s one, right? Yeah. Uh, it's so good. Even though the animation doesn't hold up in a lot no, of episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Still a great adaption of Spider-Man and his villains. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's my rating scale. Okay. <laughs> Again, appropriate. <laughs> so Batman 83, I've made it no secret how... City of Bane has been very disappointing and just I have I haven't been enjoying it. And thankfully I can say this issue is the complete opposite. This issue was fantastic because it's pretty much just a tribute to Alfred and his relationship for Bruce. And as I said in previous issues, I didn't know now if Alfred was really dead because Batman believed he was kind of things were going to his plan. And Alfred getting captured but escaping was part of the plan. So I wasn't sure if that's actually what happened. But no, Alfred is dead. And I was saying how it was kind of disappointing where Bruce wouldn't, wouldn't see his reaction to Alfred dying. And to seeing how that's going to affect him. Well, Tom King rectifies that and we see his reaction here. Because he sees it in a pretty brutal way. We just see him unconscious sitting at the, Wayne, the main Wayne Manor dinner table. He's coming to... He's in his costume, and then we just on the last panel on page one, we just see this look of shock in his face. His mouth's open, his eyes wide. The next page is this full splash page of Batman looking at Alfred's dead body at the other end of the table with how we saw him when Bane snapped his neck. And it's going over this poem that Alfred is reciting uh, over the narration. And pretty much the whole issue is a message Alfred left to Bruce before he died because he knew this was going to happen. And it was just... Very beautiful, I got to say. This issue perfectly captured the special relationship that Alfred and Bruce have is that father-son relationship that both of them have had. And again, the art in this issue is fantastic by Michael Yannon. If I'm saying the name right, if not, I apologize. <laughs> but the way he captured Bruce's emotion and the pain when he sees Alfred's dead body is exactly what I was hoping for and what I would expect Bruce to have. You just see the shock and the pain in his face, the tears running down his eyes through the cow. It's just very beautifully drawn. It just perfectly captures the emotion that Bruce would have here. It's so well done. And then just the message that Alfred left here, again, it's just very, written very beautifully by Tom Kane and just perfectly captures the Alfred-Batman relationship, which was a problem I had early on in Tom King's writing when he took over Batman. And he kind of makes a point in that later on to a moment I had issue with very early in his run. But I just love how it begins with Alfred telling Bruce of the times they played together where Bruce was a little kid playing cops and robbers and the fun they've had. And just how everything changed once Thomas Wayne, Thomas and Martha Wayne died, but how Alfred took over being the parent for Bruce. But his main goal was to see Bruce smile again and to see the joy. Because I loved how he said everyone always thought 
Bruce, even as a kid, was this quiet, solemn to himself child who would never smile. But Alfred knew the real Bruce, how he would, he was a happy child. He was someone who smiled and laughed a lot. He even says like no other child could. And he wanted to get that back from Bruce. And he saw that him being Batman was a way for Bruce to get that joy and to get that little boy back again. And that's why he took or supported Bruce in his mission to become Batman and to wage war on criminals and how it gave Bruce purpose. Alfred recognized that this is what he needed and he was there to support Bruce. And I just love how he made a parallel, how, you know, how that's Bruce's goal as Batman, you know, to bring justice to those who need it and to make sure what happened to him never happens to anyone else was his ultimate goal. And Alfred says his ultimate goal and quest in supporting Bruce again is to see him smile again and to get that little boy back. And I just love how he, recognize that being Batman was going to um, help with doing that. And it's all going over Bruce showing his frustration with the death of Alfred, the sadness. He takes him over to this couch. He puts his cape over the body and you just see the remorse in Bruce's face. And as he tries to leave the room that he's in, he sees that it's closed off. There's his bricks behind it and he just tries to punch it and to get out and it's having no effect. And you're just seeing the, seeing the frustration boil over Bruce. So he lets out this big scream and, of pain and starts wrecking things in Wayne Manor again going over Alfred's uh, message that he's leaving him it's just great parallel seeing the frustration but yet the beautiful wisdom and words of, of of a goodbye that Alfred is leaving Bruce just so well done and like I said how it kind of redid something I had issue with in one of Tom King's earlier moments it was when Bruce was on that plane trying to save it before uh, uh, Gotham Girl and her brother helped save it how he was asking Alfred, would this be a good death and would his parents be proud? I forget the exact words Alfred said, but it was somehow uh, how they wouldn't be proud or just a fact that I, it was something I wouldn't picture Alfred saying, knowing how he supports Bruce in his mission felt so out of character. And Alfred says here has, when I told you that I gave you the answer you needed to hear then, but I lied because your parents would be so proud of you. And I love how he says, too, that there actually are no good deaths, but there are good lives. And the life you're living here, your parents would be so proud. And I am so proud of you. So it made me good that a few years later, that moment I had issue with, Tom King recognized that, how that really wasn't Alfred. And I still don't think it was something he needed to say or Bruce or Bruce (laughs) that Bruce needed to hear in that moment to do what he needed to do. But I'm glad at least Tom King recognized that and knowing how Alfred really didn't mean it there. So just great stuff all around in this issue. And then it ends with Bruce um, thinking he has no way out of this room. And as a message is ending, a Catwoman comes back and she busts the door open and she says, he's ready for you. And then we see Bruce enter a room with the rest of the Bat family members. They're all well now after being beaten up by Thomas Wayne. But Thomas Wayne is there with the psycho pirate and the ventriloquist. And he's telling Bruce, you know, You've heard the message. You've seen Alfred dead. That's enough. Are you done with this Batman obsession? You know, he says, I have everything, your family, your city. Are you done? And Bruce, again, being the typical response that he's going to have as Batman, he goes, it's never done. And he says he'll never stop. And he says, you know, he's going to go against one more round with his father. And he says, this time it's for Alfred. So looks like Bruce and Thomas Wayne are going to have one more skirmish here and to say that it's personal would be an understatement this time. <laughs> See, because it's going to be a way I could just 
picture in the next issue some dialogue being referenced how even though Bruce is fighting his father here, his blood father, um, his real father is the one that's dead in Alfred, and that's who he's really fighting for. So um, a lot of great stuff in this issue. Totally turned things around as far as City of Bane goes. How I said many times before, once that we got that issue where Alfred died, how there's some opportunities here to get some great emotional moments here with Batman and to see him react in ways we've never seen before with losing um, his second father, really, and this is how that's going to affect him, not only in the moment, but moving forward. And at least right now in the moment, it was exactly the reaction and I think that felt appropriate and I was expecting for Bruce to have. It was just very, very powerful. And again, just really perfectly captured their relationship as father and son. So Tom King knocked it out of the park with this one, mixed it in with the great artwork. So I'm going to give this issue a five out of five. I haven't said that in a while for a Batman issue, but this one really was great. And regardless of how I feel of City of Bane as a whole, if any, nothing else, I'm going to remember it for this issue. So it was just very well done. And with that, I'm glad to say ending on a positive note <laughs> with our comic book reviews, which has been a while. So um, with that, though, I'll throw it to Dane for the outro, as always. All right, let me just bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, because I didn't send any show notes this yeah. time. <laughs> I thought you would have had it memorized by heart by now, Dane. I'm disappointed. Uh, it's, it's something that I feel like I do, but I, in reality, don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, just go over to BatmanUniverse.net, Facebook.com slash BatmanUniverse, Twitter handles at BatmanUniverse, shows Twitter handles at BatfansPodcast, Tim's Twitter handles at TimG311, and my Twitter handles at DaneSaysBanana. Uh, rate and review us on iTunes, and you can email the show at BatfansWithoutPants at gmail.com. So with that, like we say at the end of every single episode, Tim. We love each and every one of you was all of our bat and hooded justice hearts. <laughs> hooded justice hearts. Yeah. Um, hooded justice, Mandalorian hearts. I don't know if she. I said Mandalorian on the last one, so kind of felt I couldn't hear it. I see. So. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll see you guys next time. See you next time, everybody. Yeah.